Well, good morning, and once again, my apologies if uh, audios aren't perfect, uh, but I just thought I'd leave a quick little little thing, because I'm actually going to do a longer form. Um, there's a section of uh, James Joyce's uh, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man that I just love, uh, both the language and the lessons held within. And what I mean by that is, uh, chapter 3, section 2, he goes off talking about hell. And the section that I love is when he's talking about what is eternity. And he does such a great job um, helping us understand what eternity is. Because the human mind just, it can't calculate into billions and trillions, let alone millions. So just the way he went through it, giving you an idea of what eternity might be, is absolutely beautiful. But more importantly, his whole explanation of hell, which is funny because Ulysses was considered um, controversial. I'm surprised Portrait of the Artist was not because he's definitely talking as if he were Catholic, uh, but it definitely sounds like he's throwing some shade. Right? Um, and what I mean by that is you can't really tell by reading it whether uh, he is convincing himself or he's saying this with tongue-in-cheek. And what do I mean by this? I mean a, a strong sense of doubt. And in fact, I might even entitle this episode My Superpower, right? Agnosticism, my strong sense of doubt. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's harmful in a lot of ways, right? Because uh, that's what struck me reading... James Joyce's uh, portrait, this man talks about how um, being able to turn to God uh, for him to forgive your sins and to give you strength and power, that's something you can't really do as an agnostic, right? uh, certainly not as an atheist either, but this idea of at least having a sense of doubt allows you to put some faith outside of oneself. This is this idea of metta. So you certainly don't want to be certain, pardon the overuse of that word, but you want to have a certain amount of doubt, right? Because without it, you can be uh, misguided and you can even be, um, well, you can do uh, horrible things in the name of uh, convictions. As Nietzsche said, worse than lies are convictions, right? So what led to this little quickie that I thought I might do, was someone misunderstanding uh, the thought experiment of Schrodinger's cat. I've spoken about this before, the wave uh, in physics. Uh, but when it comes to Schrodinger's cat, we call this a, a superposition. They misunderstood because they were talking about finding out whether the cats are alive, right? They, so many people misunderstand that this cat in a box is not about, is it dead or isn't it? It's about, it is and it isn't. The cat is both alive and dead at once, a superposition. Not unlike so many other uh, topics that I've covered in the past. But this is the important takeaway. As Charles Sanders Pierce said, uh, doubt is what guides us best. First rule of logic it's been proven by science, if we want to talk about uh, modern science, psychology uh, in the name of uh, economics and consumer behavior has discovered this to be 100% true. 
And even this morning, uh, I'm seeing there's a whole new field of science that I wasn't familiar with. They call it neuro, um, neural theology. And I chuckle because someone posted a book called Neural Theology, uh, published by Columbia Press, right? So it's, a, you know, um, an academic book at least, supposedly. Um, but it's funny because it seems uh, the effort of cope throughout, uh, but worse yet, um, people seem to have misunderstood that the entire book is discussing the importance of um, the field and people are railing against it, right? Because it challenges whatever their position is. But what's funny is the book doesn't have a position, which makes it ironic. Uh, the book mostly just argues the importance and the need of the field for us to understand uh, what is this spirituality, this religion? What is it in us? And I joke because uh, Jung already wrote this, right? He wrote about this uh, about 100 years ago. He talked about this in The uh, Modern Man in Search of a Soul. I know I'm a broken record on this, but as I've said before, when, when this brilliant man, as Nietzsche has explained, right, you try to simplify these, these lessons... So if you have an entire book, it's Parkinson's Law, right? Um, a task will grow to fill the time you give it. But we can apply Parkinson's Law to books. As Nietzsche said, he says more in a sentence than most people can say in an entire book. But I take that one step further and say, okay, so here's Carl uh, Jung, this brilliant man who's written uh, <laughs> many books. And he kept many, many journals. And people have even gone in uh, to read his journals to get a deeper understanding of his philosophy. But I actually think this is more ego. I think these people go into his notebooks, as I've seen with Nietzsche, trying to find a reason for their own position rather than trying to understand the position more. The reason why I say that is the same reason why I love Modern Man in Search of a Soul. So imagine Carl Jung giving these speeches. These weren't essays or novels or anything like that, not even letters. These were speeches he gave. And so in these speeches, he was attempting to codify uh, his philosophy in such a way that people could easily uh, understand it, maybe even disseminate it. I talked about this before, how Carl Jung mentioned that, uh, you know, we, we all know that it takes 20 years for scientific knowledge to trickle down to the masses. But I argue if you fast forward to today, same as Schrodinger's cat, the fact that uh, the cat is both alive and, and dead at once. This is the superposition it's trying to teach us, that there is no certainty in life. But nobody wants to accept this. The tetralemma, the chetiscoti, the tetralemma... Uh, put forth by Pyro in the Greek, this idea that it might be this, might be that, might be both, who knows. Uh, I like the Chattiscoti that goes one step further and says it might be uh, what you think, uh, might be what he, they think, it might be a combination of the both, you might all be wrong, we might be asking the wrong questions altogether, or we may be um, unable, unprepared, or what whatever you want to say, we're unable to even ask the right questions, let alone understand the answers, right? So this misunderstanding of Schrodinger's cat, of the tetralemma, of doubt, of potential, of what true forecasting is. We talked about this before, um, 
Pascal, uh, Proust. Uh, I could name a dozen different authors who have kind of put this idea of having a sense of doubt. They can either call it doubt or they can call it faith. They can call it trust. They can call it hope, as Frankl might. But Carl Jung didn't mess with any of this. He, he, he talked about this neural theology uh, about 100 years ago. And he talked about how we needed to have something more. This is where he came up with this idea of, of the collective unconscious, the zealot. Um, same as William James, right? He, he thought pragmatism was the solution, and he pushed this for a long time. And I, and I talked to philosophy students and graduates who associate William James with pragmatism, and that makes me very sad, because even he saw the limitation of pragmatism. And... Of course, I've mentioned this before, posthumously they published his radical empiricism, which is sad because I think it was uh, one of his greatest works. Uh, between um, radical empiricism and his, uh, his book, uh, The Varieties of Religious Experience, you see in that this, he was a psychologist, same as Jung, you see in this neural theology, 100 years ago and more. But it's really sad is I had actually just made a note of this that I, I just like Marshall McLuhan, I don't think Young or Alder saw how bad things would get when it came to thinking, logic, understanding, reading. Uh, because I believe Young was right, but also wrong. Because he may have been looking in his field, psychology, it was very young. So he saw that new ideas did take 20 years to trickle down to the masses. But what he didn't see happening is fast forward 100 years and his ideas have been disseminated, but then denatured, right? Because people know of the word persona or the shadow or um, a lot of Freud stuff, but they understand the collective unconscious. But they don't understand any of the teachings, just like Schrodinger's cat or the Chattiscoti, the Tetralemma. Right? When we come to understand the teachings of persona, I've explained this before, that he had this love for the East, and he wasn't wrong because I love to explain his idea of the persona with the Japanese idea of three faces, right? Not the, the Greek tragedy with the two, two masks. The Japanese go one step further and say, we wear three masks. And I argue technically that might be even considered uh, many, many masks. That's how Carl Jung saw the persona. So when you hang around with certain cliques, Right, you wear a certain mask. You're a football fan, or you're a fisherman, or you're a uh, a writer, or you're a nurse, or or you're um, you're an environmentalist. Whatever you might wear as a persona, then you have another face that you share only with those that you trust and love. That's another persona, one that's a little closer uh, to what you hold dearest, one that's a little less dramaturgy. We've talked about this. This is this idea that, as Shakespeare said, right, all the world is a stage and we're but players upon it. Right? So you're only playing a character, this persona. So the, the, 
the persona that you show other people when you're afraid of being judged or hurt or uh, being um, disenfranchised, right? Because you want to be part of the group. Uh, for your individual private lives, people you care about, people you trust, people you love, your friends, your acquaintances, you might show a different persona, a different face, a different mask, one a little more um, more open maybe, one a little more honest if you want to say. Uh, but truly I ask, is there such a thing as honesty when it comes to persona? Because I argue that third mask is a, a face, a persona that we may not even show ourselves. It goes back to the Greek uh, maxim, know thyself, know who you are. How many of us truly know who we are? That's Carl Jung's shadow work right there. And even he, I didn't completely embrace this. I've been working with Jung for a very, very long time. And even I didn't truly understand what he was getting at. That there comes a time when you have to confront the darker aspects of human nature, these, these uh, dark, darker angels. I can't remember the exact quote from Lincoln, but it was so true. It's nothing new, this idea that we have within us an evil that we have to come to terms with. Otherwise, we may, uh, may be empowering it to do horrible things in our lives. In fact, that's what I love about... James Joyce's portrait of the artist as a young man because he really does express how hell can be something apart or within, right? We carry around our own little hell. I'd say Sartre was wrong because l'enfer uh, is not. So l'enfer, c'est pas les autres. Uh, l'enfer, c'est nous. C'est nous autres. Uh, hell is not others. Hell is, is ourselves. It's, it's us us, plural, because of all these different personas. But that's what I argue, that Jung maybe didn't see um, the fruition of psychology or he just didn't foresee, or maybe he did and I just didn't notice it. He did, In my opinion, he may not have seen that it took 20 years for his philosophy, for his psychology to trickle down to the masses, but since... 20, 40, 50, 60, 70 years later, that knowledge has been lost. Because so many people can quote these ideas of persona and shadow and the self, but so few understand its lessons. And for me, that's the lesson that I saw in the Schrodinger's cat. But so many people understand the thought experiment but don't understand what it's meant to teach and understand. Not that different from the koans that I've spoken about before. That people misunderstand that a koan is not meant to be, uh, to be understood. Uh, the, the, the one yesterday we were talking about was Joshu, right? You have a, a neophyte Zen monk asking his mentor, if a dog has Buddha nature. The response is moo. Depending on the story you're given, it can be no, it can be not, it can even be rough, a bark. But the real lesson is, if you see yourself and others, 
you don't get or understand the nature of Buddha nature. This idea of equanimity. If you read part, uh, part two, chapter three of, of the portrait, art, portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce, that's what you hear. The greatest sadness of, of being cast to hell is the separation from providence, from, from yourself. So that's what I wanted to share today, this, this understanding, so many facial understandings of, of thought and meaning. When we can come together and truly understand that, um, I don't know, I'll just leave it at that. I thought I'd want to share a little insight from this morning. And more importantly, like I said, how sad it is that um, there's, being, there's books being published today uh, claiming uh, to be working on an understanding of a subject that um, was clearly uh, clearly expressed uh, over a hundred years ago, and and I've mentioned this before when it comes to uh, therapists and these gurus. So few people are truly looking for an understanding or a path forward. Uh, so many are looking for a sense of control. And uh, as I've said, in the face of the shadow, they much rather have a sense of control of their external world. Uh, but uh, this might even be funny to bring this up. This may even be, it seems to me, most people misunderstand Jordan Peterson's uh, Clean Your Room. Um, I do believe what he means is uh, action begets uh, everything, right? Uh, action uh, is the beginning of everything. But more importantly, clean your room, you know, clean the mess that's inside your own head first before you start worrying about uh, everything else, right? So, l'enfer c'est les autres, hell is others, only because we live in the same. L'enfer, c'est nous, c'est non. Yeah, that's us, that's ours, right? The hell is ours. The hell is us. So on that, merci beaucoup. C'était un plaisir. À la prochaine. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Uh, till the next time.